Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. First, let us pray. Come to us, O God, quiet in us any voice but your own, that we would hear your word as it comes to us this day. Amen. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we begin a new sermon series, The Stories Justice Needs to Tell. I suppose a more honest title would be a few of the stories justice needs to tell. The ideas and actions of justice are so interwoven throughout all of scripture, it's hard to choose. So our intent over these next several weeks is not to offer an exhaustive treatise on the subject, but rather to give you small glimpses of what justice looks like and where justice lives and how justice is realized. Now there's different kinds of justice, procedural, distributive, retributive, restorative, and there's all manner of issues that justice engages. There's economic justice, gender justice, food justice, racial justice, environmental justice, and that's just to name a few. So in order that we're all on the same page at the start, Here's the definition of justice that I'm working with. You might define it differently, and that's fine, but the broadest theological definition that I can come up with is that justice is the restoration of relationships between human beings and the restoration of relationships with God. That word and is very short, but very essential. Because for all of us who claim faith in the God of Abraham, our relationships with one another affect our relationship with God. And our relationship with God affects our relationships with one another. One always reflects the other. Justice is when those relationships are healthy and well. Injustice is when those relationships are broken. 
Now, Scripture assures us that on God's promised day, God will bind up everything that is broken, and injustice will be no more. But in the meantime, we are called to live toward that day, to do absolutely everything in our power to bring the kingdom of heaven just a little bit closer. And that means that we are called, all of us, not just some of us, we are called to the work of doing justice. The Canaanite woman in today's scripture reading understands this deep in her bones. We hear twice that she is shouting, but both times the verb tense in the Greek is very clear. She doesn't shout twice and just move along. Both of those references to shouting are grammatically structured to tell us that she shouts over and over and over again in a manner that would continue indefinitely. The disciples, they sense this. And when Jesus tries to ignore her, they plead with him, saying, Please send her away. She will not stop shouting. But of course she's shouting. Consider her situation. She has heard about this man, this Jesus, who heals the sick and walks on water and casts out demons and speaks with authority. She has heard and seen enough that she recognizes him immediately and calls him son of David. But she has also heard something else. She has heard that this one who has the divine ability to make everything that is wrong right again, he is not available to her and her people. Healing and transformation is possible, but not for her or her daughter. Because Jesus says he has come only for the Jewish people, and she is a Gentile. She's heard it time and time before, and this time she hears it from Jesus' own mouth. Which seems bad enough. But then it gets worse. It goes from mildly distasteful to downright ugly. After Jesus says he didn't come to help people like her, he compares Gentiles to dogs. Now, for the record, we are not talking about dogs like mine, who are spoiled, rotten, and almost certainly asleep on my bed, even as we speak. In Jesus' time and place, dogs were little more than a nuisance, and they were never, ever allowed indoors. So in calling this woman a dog, Jesus is essentially saying, you will always be outside you will always be an outsider when it comes to my concern. It might be the lowest point of his ministry, but the woman, she doesn't skip a beat, and she doesn't argue with the harsh remark or the reality that it conveys. She actually agrees with him. Yes, Lord, she says, but then she goes on to point out that when the children are fed, the dogs do get some small benefit, even if only by the way of crumbs. It's with that comment that the low point of Jesus' ministry, 
becomes a point of transformation. Now to see it, we have to look at the way Matthew presents Jesus throughout his entire gospel. The fact that Matthew, Mark, and Luke contain so many of the same stories, but tell those stories in a different order, well, that communicates to us that when they wrote down these three years of his ministry, they had a bigger purpose in mind than simple chronology. Matthew opens with Jesus' genealogy. It's a long recitation of 48 names spread out over 14 generations. And 43 of those names are Jewish males. Five of them are Gentile women. The gospel makes it plain from the beginning, then, that without the inclusion of Gentiles, we never get to Jesus. But then it's not until Matthew 24, 26, and 28 that Jesus offers his own statements in his own words about how the gospel will be preached to the whole world and all people. It's Matthew 20 where he proclaims that his life of service is not on behalf of some people, but on behalf of the many. All of that comes after his encounter with the Canaanite woman in chapter 15. And then what's more, both immediately before and immediately after his encounter with her about bread and crumbs and who gets to eat what, Jesus feeds enormous crowds. And these stories that bookend our scripture story for the day, they're almost identical. The main difference is that before he meets the Canaanite woman, his disciples are the ones that notice the people are hungry. Jesus tells them they should feed them. Now, ultimately, he does, but only after it's brought to his attention by others. After he meets the Canaanite woman, Jesus is the one who notices he says, I have compassion for this crowd because they have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send anyone away hungry. Something in Jesus shifts when he meets this loud and persistent woman. The very structure of this entire gospel points to it. The woman who screams for transformation convinces Jesus to extend the reach of his gospel message farther and wider than he ever has before. Brian Blunt, he's the president of Union Seminary. He preached for my installation. He has spoken here on other reasons, for other reasons. Dr. Blunt, he puts it this way. He says, the woman stands toe to toe with somebody she thought had the ability to control cosmic and demonic forces, and she challenges what he says. Now that is power, Dr. Blunt says, the power of a woman so determined to save her daughter's life, she dares to challenge the very system of salvation. I think that is why this story is included in the gospel. Scholars and students and people in the pews have long wondered 
why on earth it would have made the cut, it paints Jesus in a remarkably unpleasant light. But I wonder if Jesus doesn't ultimately see something of himself in that woman. And if I understand this text, Jesus wants us to shout for transformation in our world just the way she shouts for transformation in her daughters. Even when all the signals say you ought to shut up, give up, and go home. If she could stand up to Jesus, we ought to be able to stand up to anyone or anything else in all creation. Now, if this story makes you a little uncomfortable, you aren't alone. Honestly, it makes me a little uncomfortable, but I've learned something. Whenever a text makes me uncomfortable, it usually means I should really pay attention to it, that it really has something to teach me. The work of justice is rarely comfortable. By definition, justice is about confronting things the way they are and insisting they can be different. And you know this, challenging the way we've always done it or that's the way it's always been, that is hard. It is hard enough in the church and it is harder in the halls of power. I imagine that many of you have heard of more justice. Spelled out, that's Midland's organized response for equity and justice. More justice's purpose, in their own words, is for congregations to work together to empower marginalized people and act powerfully to address serious community-wide problems through direct action. We accomplish this by identifying a problem, doing research, educating the public, and the public address and publicly addressing the root causes of and solutions to poverty and injustice. This year, More Justice addressed issues of affordable housing and gun violence. They made progress towards the creation of an affordable housing trust fund that will use local public money to support additional affordable housing here in Richland County. Shandon has long had many members participate individually, but this year we joined as a covenant congregation. And I am so grateful for the way that many of you have embraced this effort. In talking with some of the more justice leaders, I learned that one of the obstacles they continue to face is that both individuals and congregations, they might support the overall effort, but they really dislike that direct and public approach of talking with leaders and holding them accountable because it's really uncomfortable. It really is. I think the Canaanite woman would have been a member of more justice. And do you remember how Jesus responds to her? He doesn't get angry. He doesn't chastise her behavior or get defensive. He says, great is your faith. And I imagine he does it with a small but proud smile on his face. 
because she shouts for the right to eat a few crumbs of bread. But in doing that, she devours complacency. She chews up the timid desire to hide behind safe tradition. She swallows the temptation to be nice and polite instead of passionate and persistent. She consumes any loyalty to how it's always been done. She gobbles up the fear of creating tension. She wolfs down the anxiety of wondering what people might think, and she finishes off completely the idea that silence might ever be considered neutral. Now, I don't normally share with you all too much about what goes on in my head when I'm writing a sermon, and that is generally good news for you. But for days now, for days, every time I have thought about this woman, every time I have sat down to write these words, a song has played in the background of my mind. The great 80s power ballad by Tears for Fears. Now I know I have just dated myself terribly, and anyone who has ever endorsed my preaching is actually recanting right now. But you know the one I mean, don't you? You know the words. Some of you know the words. Shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things I could do without. Come on, I'm talking to you. Come on. That song was written to encourage political and social engagement. And it's really not that hard to imagine the Canaanite woman or even Jesus himself singing it. At least if you focus on the words and ignore the synthesizer in the original recording. Because racial profiling and age discrimination and women earning 82 cents for every dollar a man earns, these are the things we could do without. In lack of access to health care and shame around mental health and food deserts not very far from this very sanctuary, these are the things we could do without. And gun violence and domestic violence and violence against the LGBTQ community, these too are things we could do without. So shout. The Canaanite woman, she shouts in the face of injustice, refusing to give up until she is heard. And Jesus praises her great faith. It's a turning point in Matthew's gospel and in Jesus' ministry as a whole. If you want anything to change, they both seem to be telling us, shout. When the world is not as it should be, when the situation right in front of you does not align with the kingdom of heaven, do not be quiet or complacent. Be a Canaanite. Who knows? Your voice might be a turning point for us all. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.